You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Dave, I'm so happy that I'm back. I've been wanting to talk White Sox for a while. People may not realize, but I think if you were paying attention on last week's show, that was more of a best of because I was on vacation, and I just didn't want to have nothing. So it, it was, was kind of fun to look back. It was fun, though. It was fun to listen to. Did you to. listen to it? I it did, yes. fun to listen back and fun. hear some of the old interviews that we did over the past year and kind of look back at our predictions, right or wrong, and it was kind of a fun show. But I was up in the Northwoods in Minnesota, and doing a fishing trip with my dad, my mom, my sister and her family, my family, a couple cabins up there, and actually watched the Twins broadcast against the White Sox while they were playing here in Chicago I'm because I'm watching the game. First of all... Now, I used to relish the opportunities to do that because, like, you know, Hawk Harrelson is completely insufferable. <laughs> but now that Jason Bennett, you know, now that we have Jason full-time, like, I, it's, I do that less. Well, let me tell you this. First of all... Uh, this team needs to get good, and I can't wait for it to get good because those smug asses up there, they just act like we're garbage. And when you watch their pregame, they make uh, jokes about how they were just worried that the team would just get lazy against a team like the White Sox and thank God for teams like the White Sox and the Marlins. And then you're watching you're watching the broadcast, and it, it just, we're, we're nothing to them right now. And they're loving it because they've always disliked us. So I can't wait. I mean, just interacting with their fans, I can't wait. Thank God we won a game on Saturday night because right. we, we stopped off in Minneapolis because I got a friend there before we headed all the way back. So Saturday night I was there for the actual win that we had, and I, and, and, and I got to wear my socks hat around, and they still looked at me like I was garbage, hey, but hey, at listen. least we had a win. Hey, listen, listen, listen. You know what? The Twins, hey, they're they're built to win the division every year. Not built to win much no of pitching. anything else. They'll even admit they're not, it when you they're talk not about. built to win anything no. else. I mean, hey. One of the more interesting things, and that's why I led in with that, and then I want to jump into what we're going to talk about today, because we have a huge show, Bill Melton on the program. That was a last that is minute booking. Awesome, man. Like I got a, I got an email last night, like at 8 p.m. Like Bill can do the show. And I had been asking for maybe about a month and a half. And it was like, Bill can do the show, he can call it eleven. And I was like, Yes. Sounds sounds great. I'm in. Okay. So uh, I, I'm able to get him on the show, and then James Fox is going to join us as well. The one thing I noticed, though, that the Twins do that I do myself, or the Twins broadcasters do that I do myself while watching the White Sox, is question lots of moves that Ricky Renteria is making. Nice. They, I mean, they, they question Ricky just as much as I do sitting on my couch. During the Nova game, they were like, why would you pull him after 80-some pitches? Like, I mean, they just, that was just one example, but throughout the entire thing, they'd be like, Another odd move from uh, Ricky Renteria. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Bill Melton played all of 10 years in Major League Baseball. He kicked off his career in 1968 with the Chicago White Sox and filled out the 1975 year before uh, two years away from the team and then retirement. He is on this show right now, joining us on Socks in the Basement. How are you, Mr. Melton? Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fine. I appreciate you coming on. I really, I, I really love the fact you came on the show. I, 
I, I had originally hoped that I could get my dad down here to be on the program with us. He's such a big fan, but he was on he was on a golf outing this week. And when I found out I was going to get you, I was like, well, that's bad timing. Maybe we'll get him next time. I was born in 77. So right at the end of your career. So all I have are highlights and statistics. And I know there's a lot of fans that are out there that they, they may even know younger generation only knows you as the guy that comes on during the pre and the post game. But you had some amazing years, uh, your, your 1970 or 1971 season, some fun White Sox teams in the 70s. What are your memories of playing for the White Sox in that time period? Well, you know, first of all, you know, I'm much like the team is today. We were, there was about nine or ten of us that all came up in 1968, Carlos May, Bucky, Dan, George Orta. I could go on and on. And, uh, you know, what happened in those years right there was pretty much what happened the last couple of years with the White Sox. It just goes that I've always felt that, you know, if we all play together, we all lose together, we basically all win together. And of those guys I mentioned, it was 10 of us. All 10 of us, uh, even though we were terrible in 1969, it's like the beginning of our rebuild here, uh, all of us got over 10 years in the big leagues, even though we were terrible, uh, we all played together. We all, you know, became friends and, uh, we worked it all out. And when we had three or four pretty good years, brought in Dick Allen and changed the whole ball club around, but, uh, but just a bunch of young guys like the rebuild here was about three years ago. What do you think now with the, the way that they come out of the all-star break? I think White Sox fans got excited. Yeah. I mean, even to the point where, I I had always told myself we're not winning anything this year, and I never expected that. But when you get so close to 500, you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we just just hover around there the entire year? What an amazing step that would be! And then they come out cold. What what do you think this team needs to snap out of that right now? Because it seems like they're they're trying everything and 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 it's not working. Well, we kind of did the same thing in from 69 to 70. 70, we uh, thought we'd play 500. I think we came pretty close to it, so that made them go out and get that Dick Allen. And of course the 71 season uh, wound up being pretty good for the White Sox. There's always a, a goal to accomplish again. Uh, I don't think when you're rebuilding, this is a situation where when I played, you had to go out and make trades. You couldn't go out and buy players. Uh, that kind of simplified it for the fan base to say, Hey, why don't you go buy a couple of pitchers for a hundred million dollars? Well, other teams are doing it. So it makes it tough on management I think when you know they, you know you you want to make good trades, good for both clubs. Uh, a good trade to trade is like Chris Sale did a great job for Boston, won the World Series, and we got Juan Mercado third base. I mean, this is what you got. You got to make trades to help both ball clubs. You can't say I made a trade and I lost this guy, and boy, look what he did in Boston. Uh, you got to look what uh, you know you got it in return, and the White Sox did pretty well. So. Again, it's all about now. It's you, you can actually buy somebody as a free agent and or you can go in the trade market. So, again, it's the best of both ways now, I think, in the front office. You mentioned Yohan Moncada, and I find it interesting because here's a guy who, yeah. who started at second base, had a rough year last year. We we here on this show kept saying you got to give a guy a little bit of time to get used to the major leagues, and I, I, I was very happy that he didn't make me look silly by going out and having a good year this year. Now he's over at third base, but when you look at free agents and guys that are out there, there have been some things that I've read where people have floated the idea that a guy like Moncada can really be moved anywhere. 
if you could find a big third base free agent and bring them in, he could all of a sudden fill a role in your outfield or he could move to some other part in your infield. Do you do you like that idea? Do you see him as somebody that can move around and be that versatile? Or would you like to just see him stick at one position like third base? I think the best thing that happened to him was put him in third base. And the reason I say that is he doesn't have to worry at second base. You have to worry about covering the bag. You have to worry about the shifts. You have to, you know, you're always out there having to think of what you have to do defensively, where third base is primarily a reaction position. He's already done a good job over there. He's big. He's got a strong arm. And I've said this to a lot of people. There's not many third basemen the White Sox have had. Uh, Ventura and myself were home runs, uh, pretty good around the bag. Joe Creedy, one of the better, uh, you know, defensive players, great in the clutch, stuff like that. But uh, how often do you see a five-tool third baseman, a guy that can switch it, he can run, he'll hit 25 home runs, he'll seal 20 to 25 bases, and he's an RBI guy. So he could drive in 80 to 90 runs depending on where he is in the lineup. Where are you going to find a guy like that? So, no, I don't move him. I keep him right where he is. And that's right to me, that's a pretty valuable piece right there is a five-tool third baseman that can do it all. I remember talking to somebody about Mike Schmidt, who's in the Hall of Fame. Not to say Makata's in the Hall of Fame, but Mike Schmidt was one of the rare third basemans uh, in my year, or not my year, but after I left, I could do everything. He could hit for power, he could run, he could steal bases, average an RBI. So I think Makata's probably getting up in that avenue. Arenado's probably the best defensive third baseman I've ever seen. I only see highlights, but I think Makata does a, a good job over there. He reacts well. The more you play third base, I was a converted outfielder, right field, and they decided they wanted to make me a third baseman. The first year was really rough, but once you get your second year under your belt, you get used to playing it. You work on different things in spring training. You become a better defensive ball player. So, again, I, I think it's a great move for him, and, and I'd like to see him stay right there. You got Madrigal that could be your second baseman. Another improvement is Tim Anderson. You would never think that he would improve that much, that goes. that's a plus to the coaching staff, Joe McEwing and all of them that are working on the infielders. Look at the difference in, from two years ago where Timmy Anderson is uh, today. You thought he would be a center fielder. He was talking about because of his speed and his arm. But look what he's done. So, again, you've got, you're starting to grow and develop some very young players in very important positions. Again, I think they've developed a, a nice footprint. I'll just call it a footprint because even guys that are – not playing every day, you have to understand that they're playing well enough where other teams will want them. They're playing well enough where other teams will pay them well. And the White Sox can make a trade and get a player that they maybe weren't able to get. Right. No, that makes sense. I don't want to keep too much of your time, but I have been asking anybody that comes on the show recently their opinion on one Lewis Robert. And it's split amongst yeah. a lot of White Sox fans. Do you bring this guy up now? Or do you play the 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 clock game well, with him next year? I'd like to see him get at bats right now, and, and so he's ready to start 2020. I talked about what I thought. We all failed together. This is just my opinion. Uh, they have a different opinion. The White Sox do than what I saw develop. And uh, uh, talking about Carlos May and Bucky Denton, all of us were terrible. Uh, but you know, we all we all played together, and we all when we all struggled, we had, had an easy to sit down and talk to a guy when he's struggling also. So that concept, uh, of course, with no free agency was a way we had to, we had to play together and learn to play together. 
feel the same way now with the White Sox when you got a guy like Roberts. I don't know what the situation is mentally with him. Uh, you know, we're, what, what's going to happen this year? You, you don't really know. And you're hoping for 500. Doesn't look like it's going to happen because of the pitching. So, yeah, I mean, I'm anxious to get Kopech. Where's he now? Tommy John. I'm anxious. I'm anxious to get a lot of guys uh, up here and see what they can do. And then you got Dylan Cease. He needs to go through this, what he's going through right now. If you go through this, makes you a better pitcher the following year. Look at Giolito. Look at Lopez after the All-Star break. you got some great arms. You just have to – you know, the, the, the coaches are working well with the pitching staff. You're going to see a lot of different relievers, different situations this year. Next year, I think you'll be more solidified because I think what the White Sox need to do next year, and this is my opinion – is you got to find one veteran leader on your pitching staff. You got to find one guy that can go out there every day and win 80% or 90% or pitch well in 90% of his games. I'm not saying it wouldn't be Giolito, Lopez, Kopech, anybody. It could be Hanson, guys, you know, that are on the DL now. Uh, but anyway, if you go get a veteran pitcher, a lot of teams rebuilding do that. Then you know that every fifth day you got a guy that's going to shut somebody down. Right now, we don't know that. Giolito is the closest thing we have to doing it. You do that, you have to strengthen the five-man rotation, I think, with one guy. That would be just my opinion right there. One good starter. You saw what had happened when the Cubs got Lester, and you see it with a lot of other organizations where you get one guy, a veteran, Verlander with Houston, changed that whole base all team after lost 100 games for four or five years. That's, that's what I'm talking about, a veteran presence that almost of his 30 starts, 25 of them are good. That's what I want to. I think it would be great. You bump everybody down one spot. Your one becomes your two. Your two becomes your three. And it keeps going down like that. That always seems like a great idea. I hope they do it in the off season. Bill Melton, thank you very much for joining us this week on Socks in the Basement. Uh, it's It's been an honor. I was very, very happy when I found out that we could have you on the show. And uh, hopefully one day down the line, we'll have you back on again. Well, Chris, say hi to your dad. Appreciate it. I will. I will, sir. Thank you. Hey, this is Acoustic Mike from Broadcast Basement, and you're listening to Socks in the Basement with Chris and his buddy Dave. I did the Broadcast Basement with Chris for 10 years, and nobody gave me a show. I'd leave if I had anything else to do with my life. Remember, the Broadcast Basement is available everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BroadcastBasement.com. What the team should do at this point, like you want to go ahead and move your you want to move guys that aren't going to be you back. You want to move well, your Wellington Castillo, your, your Yomer Sanchez. Nobody wants him. He sucks. You know what's very nice about what's happening now is you have a very productive John Jay out there. Oh, very he productive. Be dealt immediately, very productive. Somebody, somebody wants John Jay. Let deal a John Jay for something. Deal a Dealing Ivan Nova to somebody who wants a little extra pitching. The only reason I can see keeping John Jay, the only reason I can see keeping John Jay is if you have absolutely no faith in your outfield prospects, not named uh, Robert and Jimenez, and you need that other guy out no, there. But, but that's him. that's a lo- that is such that is such a long shot, dude. You don't need him. So and, and he 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 can be he can be moved, and I I I would hope that they would do that. Now here's the thing: whether or not they move anybody. Okay, no matter what happens at the trade deadline, because we're operating on the idea that 
nothing will happen. And even if something happens, no matter what happens, there are certain things that need to happen after the deadline is over. Because remember, the deadline is a hard deadline for the first time ever. You can put a guy on waivers. Right. You can't but do you the, can't pull him back. You can't do the Alex Rios thing. No, you that can't pull him back. back in the day. So these guys are gone. This is it. There's no way that you can make an exchange with another team after July the 31st. So after that date, you can't get anything for any of these players that you know you're not bringing back next year. My contention is this. What I would do is get rid of the following people. Wellington Castillo, get rid of him. He's not coming back next year. He does no good for you. Get rid of him. I'm done with him. Goodbye. The moment the trade deadline is done and you know you can't get anything else, sunk cost, he's gone. Yomer Sanchez, goodbye. I don't want to see you anymore. Let him go. Let him go. Okay? Yeah. I, 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 I there's agree. absolutely no reason to keep him around on your team. If you want to hold on to John Jay because he's playing well for you and you like to have the bat and there's nobody from the minors that you want to bring up, I'll be okay with that. But those two guys, in particular, should not be on this team past the trade deadline one way or another. And you should be bringing up players to play baseball for you. And 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 this also goes back to, I believe that Lewis Robert should be up right freaking now. And I agree with you. And we, have ta- a- we have talked about this. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. Let the man take his lumps from Major League Pitching now so next year he's ready for you. Yes, because I want him to start. So here's the thing. I want Lewis Robert to start in the outfield opening day 2020. Yes. Everybody says, well, it's between six years and seven years of control. Make this the seventh year. This would have been Jimenez's seventh year. This would have been the year if you held him back a little bit, if you wouldn't have signed the contract. This would have been, you know, you would have gotten that extra year out of him, right? This, yeah, so and, and just look, think of it this way. This, you held back Robert. Think of it this way. You hope that Robert would have been coming up this year. And then he makes this amazing run through the minor leagues. And he's not going to fall off at AAA because they're hitting like a like a golf ball out there. It's so the tight, man, that ball the down man, at AAA. The, the man is hitting. I just checked this the other day. The man has almost an 1,100 OPS get, get him in up AAA. Here. You, you know what? Let him take the momentum up here and get used to major league hitting. What What's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is he comes up here and he struggles. Okay, fine. So now he can work that out. He has an offseason to figure out how he's going to adjust. Give him that opportunity. Why make 2020 a year where you're going to hold him back now because of Super 2 status? You're going to delay bringing him up, and then you're going to, and then he's going to basically get used to things in 2020 and really not hit his stride until 2021. Let's get this guy up here now. He's ready. After the trade deadline, he's a guy that should join this team. Yes, After the trade I deadline, agree. Zach Collins should rejoin this team I agree. I was and just going to say, bats. I was just going to say this Zach Collins. AJ like- Reed kid. Ain't no, working no, out. No, you want to hold no. on to him because you think you can develop him and you're hoping that you can do something with him? I don't care. Leave him as a reserve on the bench. But Zach Collins should be getting all those at-bats. He should be getting the DH, the, 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 reps the, the backup catcher, first base, the catcher, backup catcher yes. position. That should be Zach Collins' position from August 1st on. You see what I'm saying? Yes, Danny Mendick should be up I here. Danny Mendick should be up here filling the role of Yomer Sanchez from August 1st on. Until, Lewis Roberts should be up here starting in center field from August 1st on. And Mendick, even if, listen, Mendick is basically there to see what you get out of him anyway because that position is eventually going to be Nick Madrigal's anyway. Yeah. I mean, why not see, why not see Madrigal? Give him a cup of coffee. There's no, you're, Chris, you're right. We've been saying this. We've been saying this all, you know, we've been saying this all year. And and now is the time when 
you want to start seeing these guys come up here. The team, look, the team is out of contention. They're out of it. They're not going to get that wild card spot. Before the All-Star break, they go in two games under 500. You're sitting there going, eh, maybe. But then they go on a seven-game losing streak. And then they lose nine out of 11. Right. Okay, you're, 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 you're done. All right, you're not going to make that ground up. So now's the time. Cut the fat. Get the, get the, start bringing the get kids Get some of these up. guys in here and let them, let, let them get them their feet start wet to get their for reps. 2020. And that's what you should do. And it shouldn't be September. You're mismanaging them if you only give them one month in September. That's a mismanage. And you're, you're giving the, the, right, and because, you're giving the manager the opportunity to not give them very many at bats because he's going to have a bigger roster and he's going to be loyal to his guys. So you and can't he's going to, and he's going to be, and you're going to be going up against the, the thing is September is always kind of smoke and mirrors anyway, because yeah, you can come up here and you can have a good month of September, but remember you're coming up there and you're you, half the time you're against other teams, September call-ups right. too. So, okay. and, and here's the thing, think about it this way. The White Sox have the option with Zach Collins and especially Lewis Robert because of the starting of his clock, okay? Bringing these guys up August 1st and giving them at-bats for two months or bringing them up in September and giving them at-bats for one month or waiting until spring training and allowing them to make the team and start it off or, in Robert's uh, case, delaying him. Now, if they delay him out of spring training and that's what their plan is, I don't know what excuse they're going to come up with to be able to pull that off. Okay, because it's it's just going to look ridiculous. Okay, and if you start him in 2020, but he never came up this year, that was a waste of time. Yeah, because you might as well have brought him up here because his clock is going to be exactly the same. If you bring him up in September, you start his clock already, but you took away an extra month of development in the majors. So the only option is either he comes up right here after August 1st or he is held back for Super 2 status until the year has already gotten going in 2020. Now, what would you rather see? I, I Chris, I've talked to you. But I, I want to see him now. Look, we're talking because about... Because Mandrigal's going to be that in 2020. He's right. going to be the guy that gets held back for, for some control or we're, something like that. Or it, he's gonna, That's what he's going to be. We're talking about... Here's the big picture, though, Chris. We're talking about, you know, oh, extra year of control, extra year of control. Look... The Sox are going to do the same exact thing with Robert that they did with Eloy Jimenez anyway. Like, they're going to just be like, look, we know you're a part of this team's future. We're going to just forget all of this uh, holding you back for control stuff. We're, gonna, we're just going to give you the contract now. Well, that would be the smart thing I to mean, do that's because what they're gonna do. your owner's they, already shown that he won't spend, he won't spend big money and they've proven in free that, agency. And they've proven, that they'll, they've proven to us with the Eloy thing that they're willing to do that. So why not do that with, with Lewis Robert? I, yes, I, I don't see I, – I don't understand what the holdup is with him. I, I don't understand why – as of August 1st, he's not up here, right here, right now. Well, maybe I, he will I, be. I don't get it. At the moment that we're recording this, there have been some rumors on Twitter that the White Sox may elevate him. And it'll be interesting to see if they do. But like I said, certain people should be jettisoned from this team out into space, into the vacuum, <laughs> into the void, the moment that they are untradeable and there's no other way to move them. Just do like Thanos, like snap and just like make them yes. turn into dust. Rick Hahn. Needs to put on his Thanos glove. He's got to put on his glove with the Infinity Stones. He needs to walk into that clubhouse and snap some people away. That's what I want. Into dust. I just imagining like a Yomer, like holding his his Gatorade over his head, and then he just goes to dust, and then the gate and the Gatorade falls. That's awesome. <laughs> 
James Fox. He's from Future Sox. He's from the Loop Sports. He's getting ready now for Bears season as well, I think, by looking at his tweets because he covers that as well for the Loop Sports. You're a busy man, James. How did you survive the last week of White Sox baseball? Uh, by not watching the games. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess they say that like it's easy for me to like shrug off losses, but like when I'm not super invested in the major league product, I think that's easy to do. I mean, I DVR the games. I find out how Moncada did. I go back and watch them. I watch Giolito. I watch Lopez. I watch Cease. But if um, Ivan Nova's pitching on a Saturday afternoon and Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson are injured, I'm probably not going to watch. Well, I was away on a, a trip, and while I was away on my vacation – I noticed a little tidbit and immediately reached out to you because I want to know what your thoughts were on it and why it happened. Nick Hostetler moved from the job that he's in to become yet another assistant to the general manager. My initial thought, and then I can't wait to hear what you have to say, was that this team, or Rick Hahn, who's a more of a numbers guy, sat there and said, I like what Nick does in his evaluation of talent, and now I need him on the major league level because we're ready to take the next step. Am I far off on that? Uh, no, I think you're pretty much spot on. I mean, that, that's not what most people thought. But I think, like, right away, like, Mark Gonzalez broke the story, which is funny since the Tribune doesn't cover the team. Um, and it was it was rather ominous, you know, <laughs> like the first tweet that said, like, oh, shake up at the top of the internet, at the top of the amateur scouting department. And, you know, we're over at Future Sox, we're pretty good buddies with Nick, and he's been really good to us. So he, he's been in charge of four drafts, and I think the jury's still out on the 2016 and 2017 draft. Um, I think it's too early to say that they're bad, but, you know, I mean, if you think your 2016 first-rounder should be in the majors by now, that's fine. I mean, his 2017 first-rounder got hurt. So, But the last two drafts, I think, were fantastic. And I think rival evaluators would also say that they're fantastic. Now you're picking third and you're picking fourth. So, I mean, you should get really good players there. And if, if the White Sox soured on Nick Hosteller, I don't think they let him lead two of the most important drafts in franchise history personally. So um, I think it's going to come out here officially, like what, what they're going to do. I mean, to me, he moves over to the pro side. He has a big say on the pro side. Um, and then they'll hire a, uh, amateur scouting director, you know, either somebody that was under him, like Nathan Durst, the Midwest cross-checker, or um, Mike Shirley is another guy. So it could be it could be one of those guys, or they could go outside. I have no idea. But, I mean, I think right away a lot of people were like, oh, this is Jerry Reinsdorf's way of not firing people because he gets the, the assistant to the GM title. And people pointed out right away, like, oh, that's the same title Jim Tony has. Like, he's not doing anything. Like, just fire him, whatever. But – that's also the same title Marco Patty has. So I think it's something similar to that, where my guess is they don't want to fire anybody on the pro side. This kind of allows him to go over to the pro side and have a say without kind of having to shake up anything else. Cause God, yeah, I mean, God forbid they fire anybody. So, well, that's, that's one of their big things that they're not, they're not good at firing people. It, I, I know once you're in there, your family, would it be an indictment on Haas Settler? Do you think if they went outside the organization, instead of getting one of his guys and moving them into that spot? Um, I don't think so, no. I mean, I, I would actually prefer they go outside just because they don't do it enough. Not that, not that like, um, Nathan Durst or Mike Shirley or um, even Garrett Guest like, couldn't do the job. Because, I mean, one of those guys might be able to. I can't sit here and tell you that any of the three would be great. I don't know. But, I mean, they're, they're going, out, going outside the org 
you know, is, is always good just because people bring new and fresh ideas in and, you know, show, you know, everybody involved. This is where I came from. We kind of did things here this way, you know, like even Chris Getz was like a little bit of a nepotism hire because it's like Chris Getz and they drafted him, but at least he was deemed as qualified like by other people around the game, like Kansas city wanted to keep him and they poached him from Kansas city. Now, of course they have to get a guy that's highly regarded that they also know. That's another thing. You know what I mean? So if this is somebody from outside the organization, you're probably going to find out like, Oh, he scouted for the Sox in Oh, Oh one. And then he moved on to this <laughs> other place and rose up the ladder. And, but here's his white Sox ties. Cause I mean, you know, that's, that's just, the way that they do things, but they do have, I mean, and we've talked about some of this in the past. They do, they have obvious shortcomings on the pro side. You know, I think you took a snippet of my most recent article and posted it on Twitter and thought it was kind of funny, but I mean, that's, uh, that, that's just the God's hottest truth. I mean, it's their pro scouting has, has been bad. And if Nick Hostetler can improve that, then you know, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think what you did is you put, I, I can't remember all the names on it, but you put out all the people that they had signed in the offseason and added it up to like $38 million and said, and we yeah. couldn't, why couldn't we afford him, Manny Machado? I love the stat that you had figured that all out because I just. Yeah, don't read, don't, don't read those names all out. <laughs> well, let's talk about, let's talk about some names now. Okay. The, the draft deadline is upon us. The show comes out on deadline day, the 31st. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm not going to ask you the guess because something could change between now and when the show airs, but. After the deadline is over, I know Dave and I both feel like this team should look at certain guys and say, we weren't able to trade you and you're not part of next year. Let's make room and let other guys get at bats. Like a Wellington Castillo, we can't deal you. It's time to move on. Bring Zach Collins up. Let him get at bats. Move on from this A.J. Reed experiment. This is a disaster, okay? But I, I, I understood why they did it. But after you do it for a little while, you you move on. Would you see them doing that? And what do you think about that idea? Um, well, God, I hope so. Like, just because, like, I mean, Zach Collins needs to be up here. And, you know, there's like this ongoing battle on Twitter about Zach Collins and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm the leader of the Zach Collins fan club. And, yeah, I mean, he didn't look very good when he was up here. But, I mean, that's he had like 30 plate appearances, I think. he's He's the type of guy where his – his value is going to be tied into playing a lot and he might fail as a big leaguer. He might strike out too much and not walk enough for his profile to work. But I mean, you can't tell me that you watched him in 30 plate appearances and now like you're convinced that he can't do anything. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Like this is a baseball team that's wasted thousands of plate appearances on Adam Engel and Yolmer Sanchez and, you know, the rest of the clown car that they've had. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And they think, you know, that they brought up Zach Collins and him working with McCann, like helped him with game calling and this and that. It might've like, that. that's fine. But I think you're right about Welly. Like after seven thirty one, there's no purpose for him to be on your baseball team. None, because he doesn't make the pitchers better. Like he hung Kobe out to dry yesterday. I mean, I don't think Kobe's a big league pitcher right now, but having Castillo back there definitely didn't help. So, I mean, I want Collins up here and playing. And James McCann, I think, you know, I like James McCann. I think it was a great signing, but I think people are going to find out that James McCann in a reduced role is better than James McCann playing 130 baseball games a year. So, um, 
I like that you mentioned Wellington Castillo first. <laughs> He's at the top of my list. I would love yeah, to see. Well, I'd like to see. I'd like to see Yomer go away too. I don't see why Yomer Sanchez is playing anymore. Well, I, I, I wish he'd go away too. Well, he does Gatorade baths, so <laughs> that's that's why he's he's the Gatorade bath guy. James Fox, Future Sax, Loop Sports, good friend of the show. I appreciate you coming on, James. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks for having me. Another show is wrapped up. Another show's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. And then by the looks, it's going to be a good one. And we'll see you next week. And the nude is basement. And the nude is basement. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. And it's in the books. Another show is wrapped up, another show is wrapped up, and by the looks, it's gonna be a good one. Nudie's Basement, broadcast, Basement, the Nudie's Basement, the Broad Basement. Slancha. That was like Dropkick Murphys or something, right? I felt like it. Socks in the Basement. <laughs> Heard everywhere a podcast can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.